Um, I want you to use your imagination with me just for a moment. Anybody up to that, Mitch? Can you handle that? Okay. Here's what I want you to do. Just imagine that Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to take on human flesh one more time, and this time I'm coming to northern Michigan. I'm just going to come for 30 days, and I'm just going to kind of hang out up here in northern Michigan, and, you know, uh, I'll go to the big ticket festival, you know, and hang out with the people there. Uh, I suspect he'd probably hang out over at the Venetian festival and talk to lots of folks and, and teach them and, and love on them. Uh, I think he'd probably stick around for the Polish festival, don't you? Uh, that'd be only be right if he went to the Polish festival uh, there on Boyne Falls. I, I really think most days he'd make it back to the Salvation Army soup kitchen to, uh, to talk with those folks and encourage them. And, and I think he'd go virtually every day to the Highland Hospice House there in Petoskey. People are facing their last days. Susan, I suspect you'd see him there in the, the ICU, CVU, hanging out with people who are hurting. Um, just imagine 30 days of, of Jesus all over northern Michigan. And at the end of that 30 days, here's my question. Do you think he would have deeply impacted where we live? Do you think things would change if Jesus literally spent 30 days here in northern Michigan? And, and, and would, would some people's lives be literally turned inside out? People who were headed one direction, do you think they would suddenly now say, no, I'm, I'm following Jesus strong now? I think most of us would say, well, of course. <laughs> it's Jesus. That's what he did when he walked on earth. I think he'd do that again if, if he took up residence here in northern Michigan for 30 days. So here's my hard question. Where does Jesus live today? Can, can you point where Jesus lives today? Yeah, like if you're a follower of Jesus, where is he taking up residence? Here. And between... This location in Walloon and the East Jordan Community Church, there's seven, eight hundred of us uh, on a typical Sunday who, uh, who are at one of the locations. So here's my question. If there's seven or eight hundred of us and Jesus has taken up residence where? Here. Um, why aren't we seeing northern Michigan impacted deeply with Jesus in us. Why aren't seven or eight hundred of us, each with Jesus in us and willing to work through us, why aren't we changing the world around us in significant ways? We are, Peter, but sadly, I think we're not. I think for seven or eight hundred, Jesus in us, working through us, why isn't there revival going on, Peter? Why aren't people just coming to Christ uh, daily, like, like it was back in the book of Acts? Why aren't people's lives changing? Why isn't there deep repentance of sin? And, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the difference uh, between uh, what it is that changes people's lives and what it is that really doesn't. Um, I've got two plants over there, and you might have thought, well, that's nice. You got the, uh, the plants, special plants.
plants today, um, but those, those are illustrative plants, okay? Those are not uh, somebody's birthday or somebody's anniversary plants, okay? Uh, so uh, we're going to look at Genesis 24 and Genesis 29, and uh, uh, this, this is really representing uh, Genesis 29. We're going to look at that in a bit, but uh, this thing bit me twice yesterday getting it home. This is mean. I, I'm just telling you, you can come up here and, and, and touch it if you want, but I, I promise you uh, this thing will bite you hard. Okay? But what's interesting, uh, the, the reason I got it, it's got like the little flower on top. Okay, so it, it really, it's a little faker is what it is. It makes you think, oh, what a nice little flower, and, and then it, it bites you hard. Um, this is the Genesis 29 plant, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the uh, Genesis 24 plant is, anybody know what these are? Begonias, yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. I had to look. I said, those are nice red flowers. Uh, but, but they're begonias. And uh, they just stand for a life that's flourishing and alive and inviting, uh, a, a life that's in connection to Jesus. And then we have this other little thorny, prickly plant. Um, I, I guess uh, if you're not in Genesis 24, you can turn there. But uh, here, here's what I'm convinced. I, I'm convinced that people all over northern Michigan are dying to see Christ followers, us, living and loving like Jesus. And I'm afraid, Peter, I guess I've got to argue with you. You and I, uh, that's, not, that's not new, is it? Uh, but, but I don't think very often, typically, uh, most of us are living and loving like Jesus. I'm afraid that far too often... This is what the people around us are seeing. Uh, they see that little Sunday flower. Okay, oh yeah, see? I, I, I'm a Christian and I know about Jesus and, and, and I follow Jesus. But most of the time, if they get near us, um, there, there's going to be pain involved. Uh, we're, we're a little prickly. We're, we're kind of sharp with the elbows. We're, we're kind of uh, uh, ornery on the inside. Uh, and, and that's what that little plant stands for. So, so you got the begonias and you got the little cactus that will bite you hard. Uh, that's kind of the difference and we're going to look first at the begonia chapter. Okay, um, And just before I have you stand, let, let me just say real carefully and very clearly, I think the reason that people aren't just flocking to Jesus, seven, eight hundred of us aren't turning northern Michigan upside down, I'll just say it to start, uh, too much of this and not enough of this. Too many of us most of the time are walking around like this and not very much like this. And we're going to talk about well, what's the difference and how does that play out. Would you stand with me if you're able? We're going to read uh, Genesis 24 verses 1 to 12 and then uh, Dan is going to carefully slide down with his projector, and we'll read verses 26 and 27. Ready? This is God's Word. Let's declare it together. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. 
I want to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household, in my native land, and who I spoke to me and promised me an oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you'll be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham, and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant left, taking with him ten of his master's camels, loaded with all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram, Neharam, and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. And the Lord answered his prayer, and here's what he does when the Lord responds. Ready? Verse 26. Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I'm asking that you might meet us today as we study your word. Lord, you've told us that your book is alive, it's quick, it's powerful, it's penetrating, and I'm asking that it might be all of those things for us in your church today. Lord, uh, I'm convinced that almost everybody here wants to be fruitful and productive as followers of your son. Lord, would you show us clearly what that means today? And Lord, uh, if the truth is we're not being very productive and there's not much fruit, would you show us very clearly what needs to change? And Lord, before we open up your book, I, I just want to give you uh, that opportunity to kind of search our lives. Because Lord, it's been a long week and uh, I suspect that in our busyness, some of us have tripped and fallen and perhaps even jumped into what you call sin. And sometimes, Lord, we ignore it. Sometimes we blame others. Uh, sometimes uh, we're just choosing not to pay any attention, but we give you permission to point it out to us. And Lord, as you uh, point out where we've sinned in thought or word or our actions, Lord, we're not going to uh, ignore it anymore. We're not going to blame anybody else. We're not going to find any more excuses for it. We're just going to run to the cross right now, and we're going to confess it for what it is. You call it sin. 
we call it the same thing. And we're grateful, Lord, for everyone here who's a follower of your son. You've already marked our accounts paid in full by the shed blood of the Lamb, your son Jesus. So, Lord, we're drawing on that account. We're asking you might wash and cleanse and purify us head to toe. We're ready to hear from you. We're ready to respond to what it is you want to say to us this morning. Speak, Lord. We're listening. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said in one strong voice, you may be seated. There are two stories, Genesis 24, Genesis 29. We just read the Genesis 24 story. Uh, and in both stories, there's two men seeking wives, which is interesting. So you have two stories, two wife seekers. They make the very same trip from Israel to Haran. And uh, both of them are going to discover a woman who they realize this is God's plan. This is God's choice for a wife. Um, in uh, Abraham's servant's case, it was uh, for his mother. Um, and in his case, it was going to be Jacob's case. It was going to be for himself. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, a lot of scholars, a lot of uh, commentators think it was the very same well. So Abraham's servant shows up at a well. And later, Jacob in Genesis 29 shows up at a well outside of Haran, very well might have been the very same well. Okay? So they're both invited to Laban's house. Details of marriage are discussed. Okay, that's the similarities. Here, here's the difference. Genesis 24, there's this attitude of prayer. There's an attitude of, Lord, please show me. Lord, please guide Lord, you make yourself very clear. In other words, there's a great dependence going on in Genesis chapter 24. And then when the Lord makes Himself clear, remember verses 26 and 27? The servant is grateful. There's worship and praise and gratitude. Lord, thank You for guiding. Thank You for blessing. Thank You for showing Yourself clearly. You're awesome. But then when we get to Genesis 29... Um, there is absolutely no mention of God. That's what's interesting. So you can turn to Genesis 29. I just wanted to show you. Uh, probably the same trip, the, both looking for wives. It, it included getting a wife for his dad, Isaac, um, and it was Rebecca. So anyway, same well, perhaps. And, and now you get to Genesis 29, and I just got to show you what happens there. Uh, Jacob just left Bethel. That's what we looked at last week. Remember that, that amazing picture that Matt drew over here? And you had the staircase. And uh, on that staircase were angels going up and down God's messengers. And God's messengers were carrying out God's plans. Go do this, this mission. And they were going and going back and getting more orders. Uh, I've got angels at my disposal, Jacob, and I want you to know he comes out and he talks to Jacob from the top of the ladder. He says, I, I just want you to know 
um, the very land where you're sleeping on, that land is going to belong to you and your descendants. Oh, and you're going to have descendants. Descendants uh, that will scatter all over the world, and your descendants, Jacob, are going to be a blessing to the entire world. And then here's what he says, verse 15, chapter 28. That's what we looked at last week. Uh, Wherever you go, Jacob, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to watch over you. And I'm going to bring you right back to this land that I promised to you. Okay? So he leaves Bethel there with that picture. And now we pick up in chapter 29. Uh, and here's what happens next. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. And there he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Uh, Jacob asked the shepherds, My brothers, where are you from? Hey, uh, where are you guys from? We're from Haran, they replied. Uh, Jacob said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, Is he well? Is he doing okay? Uh, yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter Rachel. Look, she's, she's coming and she's bringing the sheep from the family. Let's pause. Three flocks of sheep. Uh, middle of the day, they're waiting around a water well. Apparently the stone was large. Uh, and rather than straining or sweating... The deal was that you waited till all the shepherds and then we'll all push the rock together. I'm pretty sure these were union shepherds and they worked for the AFL-CI sheep and you couldn't push unless you had 10 guys minimum and then, and then you could push the rock out of the way. Uh, verse 4, they just happened to be from Laban's hometown. Just happened to be. Uh, and how's Laban? Well, he's doing well. Matter of fact, you're not going to believe this, but guess who's coming now with Laban's sheep, his daughter Rachel. Uh, verse 7, Jacob is one of those guys who can't keep from giving advice even to strangers. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. They should be out eating Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. What's wrong with you guys? You guys are lazy is really what he's saying. Why, why are you just laying around here waiting for all the other sheep? We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered. That's, that's the rules. And the stone's been rolled away. Then we'll water the sheep. Okay? So uh, Jacob is still sharing his wisdom when Rachel, Laban's daughter, comes up. And this is kind of cool because uh, any of you men uh, who've ever seen someone that you find attractive, you can understand this. Uh, he, he flexes the biceps and he's the triceps. And he's now he's, he's going to say, there's a pretty girl here. Now, now watch this. He grunts and he groans. And look what happens. Verse 9, while he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. And when Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, uh, all by himself, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. 
you won't believe how strong I am, Rachel. I'm going to impress you. And, 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 I, and I think that's what he was doing. He was showing off in front of the pretty girl. Um, and pretty soon, now that he has pushed the stone all by, the, other sh- the three shepherds, now we've got to wait for everybody to come all by himself, uh, he grunts and groans and makes that happen. Um, but now, verse 11, uh, Jacob just turns into an emotional mess. Then Jacob kissed Rachel, uh, what's this all about? And then he starts to cry. He weeps aloud. And he told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father, verse 13, and as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he runs down uh, to the well and meets him. He braces him and he kisses him and brings him back home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Just tells him everything that's going on. And you're not going to believe it, but, but I made this pot of stew. And my brother said, okay, you can have my birthright. Yep, and then, and then mom dressed me up and I pretended I was Esau. And, and then we stole his birthright and then I had to run away because he was going to kill me. So it basically says that he just kind of spilled the bean and told him everything. Verse 14, then Laban said to him, you're my own flesh and blood. You're my own flesh and blood. So Jacob is kissing Rachel. Laban is kissing Jacob. They go to Laban's home. He says to Jacob, you're my flesh. You're my blood. Jake, your family. Welcome home. Welcome home. I know it's been rough. I know you were scared. I know it was a month's journey, but I'm glad you made it. Welcome home. Pause before we go on in chapter 29. Has there been any prayer at all so far? Has there been any seeking of the Lord and guidance? Has there been any, Lord, would you please show me where I'm supposed to go and what I'm supposed to do? Lord, would you guide and make yourself clear asking for wisdom? Um, Keep looking for it as we move on in chapter 29. Uh, after Jacob had stayed with Laban for a whole month, verse 15, Laban said to Jacob, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Uh, Tell me what your wages should be. You tell me what I should pay you. Uh, And here's what Jacob should have said to his uncle Laban. Um, Uncle Laban, great question. Let me think about it. Let me pray about it. Let me chew on that for a few days, and I'll get back to you. Not what happens. Instantly, verse 16, Jacob tells Laban what he wants. Here's what he says. Uh, Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Verse 18 Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, "Uh, Uncle Laban, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Obviously, Jacob is pitter-twaited. Remember that word? Good. Uh, he, he He was gaga over Rachel. He was... All about Rachel's outer package. From the moment he saw her, when he's pushing the rock, 
impressing her, uh, then kissing her. Uh, it's obvious that he found her very attractive. He was uh, just enthralled with her outer package, and he loved her because she was beautiful and had a lovely figure. Now, it's, uh, it's pretty clear that Jacob is operating in his flesh. Here's what I mean by that. Jacob is thinking Jacob thoughts like he has all along, and now he's thinking with his hormones, and before he thinks or prays or asks for wisdom or guidance, he instantly acts on his emotional feelings for Rachel. And he says, uh, tell you what, Uncle Laban, I'll work seven years, and that will be my dowry, that will be my payment to you for your youngest daughter, Rachel. Let's just pause for a moment. It says, Leah has weak eyes. I think I found seven or eight different things that weak eyes could mean. And I just need to say that every possible explanation for weak eyes was not flattering to Leah. Okay, So we'll just leave it there. Uh, it wasn't a compliment. Uh, that's what we know for sure. Okay, um, But Laban then, after he says, this is what I want and I'll work seven years, uh, verse 19 is not exactly a ringing endorsement of the deal. Here's what he says, verse 19. Well, it's better that I give her to you than to some other loser. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll go with that. Stay here with me, Jacob. Stay here with me. Verse 20. Remember uh, Dr. Gary Chapman who was here a few years ago? Remember him? Anybody remember? Okay. Uh, he, he talked about something called the tingleys. You remember the tingleys? And he said the tingleys, he believes, that's what God gives couples. It's kind of like glue before you actually really know each other and really are long-term super glued to each other. You know, he, he talked the tingleys, how you, you, you almost, your heart starts beating faster and your palms get sweaty and, and you just can't wait. Uh, so anyway, verse 20 is the tingleys, only tingleys for seven years. And I'm telling you what, the tingleys are powerful. It says, so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. Here's the tingleys, but they seem like only a few days to him because of his love, because of his tingleys for Rachel. Okay, so, so he, he's got the tingleys, and the tingleys sustained him for seven years while he waited for his bride. Now, some of you are thinking, this guy, this guy was a gentleman. This guy was so proper. He was suave. He was just a great gentleman. And in case that's what you're thinking, just look at verse 21, because that's not really true. Jacob tells Laban what's on his mind. Seven years is up. Uh, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. Ugh. Uh, Tell us what you're really thinking, Jacob. <laughs> uh, now, I know this next part's kind of well-known, but what happens next is the tricker gets tricked. The deceiver gets deceived. 
what goes around comes around, uh, Jacob meets his match. Um, literally, I believe that Jacob is about to go to school, and I think it's, it's the school of hard knocks, and it's the school of Uncle Laban, and Jacob is going to be in Uncle Laban's school for the next 20 years. It, it seems that the Lord knew that he needed to go to the University of Uncle Laban uh, to get softened up, to get mature, to become a man of God. So uh, Jacob, who deceived and tricked his father Isaac, Jacob, who deceived and tricked his brother Esau, now his mother's brother, his uncle Laban, is going to make him reap what he had sowed. Here we go, verse 22. So Laban brought together all the people of the place, all the surrounding area, and gave this great feast. We'd call it a wedding reception, but they did the reception uh, there with all the, the neighbors. But when evening came, uh, Laban took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her, and Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as his attendant. Stop for a moment. How on earth did that happen? Um, well, here's, here's two possible explanations. Okay? Here's the commentators. One explanation. Uh, Laban made sure that Jacob got really drunk at the feast. Like really intoxicated. And he was totally out of it. Uh, so therefore... He, he was just so out of it, he, he just didn't even know what was going on. Option number two, Genesis 24. If you go back, when Jacob's mother, Rebekah, uh, came in contact with her husband-to-be, Isaac, she covered her face with a veil, and she went into the tent, and the tent on the wedding night was very dark. Explanation number two. I think I would argue uh, a combination of the first and the second. I, I think likely he did make sure that he was really intoxicated and uh, the veil was on. Uh, don't take the veil off until you're in the tent and it's very dark. Uh, and then the next morning, Jacob realizes what? <laughs> I've been tricked. I've been deceived. Here's what he says, verse 25. Uh, when morning came, <laughs> there was Leah. <laughs> Can you picture this in your head? Th there's Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, and I got a hunch, uh, unzipped the, the tent. Okay, they didn't have zippers, but undid the tent, and he runs out to Laban what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Why have you lied to me? I've worked seven years for Rachel and Leah's in the tent. What have you done? And here's his explanation, verse 26. Laban replied, It's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Now I know I remember you telling me your story 
and where you come from, the younger one usurps the older one, and you get away with that. But that's not the way we do things around here. Here, the older one goes first. <laughs> Interesting. Finish, verse 27. I'm sure Laban had thought this through. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we'll give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Again, great place. Let me think on that, Uncle Laban. Let me pray about that. Let me think if that's a great idea or not. No. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave him his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked seven more years for his uncle Laban. If you want to read on this next week, the rest of chapter 29 and 30, can I just tell you, it's a mess. It's a mess. you got sister wars going on, uh, and, and all of the drama of two sisters being married to the same man, can you imagine? Can you imagine, those of you who have a sister, women, can you imagine you and your sister being married to the same man? Well, everything you can imagine plays out and more uh, in these, these next few chapters. Um, but here's my question. Did you see any mention of the Lord here in chapter 29? Was there any asking for guidance or wisdom? Chapter 29, God is missing. There's no mention, there's no acknowledgement, there's no seeking, there's no praise, there's no worship. He's missing. Laban and Jacob are doing business in their own strength, in their own ideas, their own self-effort. They each have their own agendas, and they're going at each other. And I would argue both Jacob and Laban are full of the flesh. They're full of the old sinful nature and they're in full bore. I'm out to get the best out of you. No, I'm out to get the best out of you. I want what I want. I'm thinking the things that I think and I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's what chapter 9 is all about. And uh, the result is Jacob's going to be 20 years in the school of hard knocks. And it's going to take 20 years for that old flesh to get beaten up again and again and again for Jacob to grow and mature and soften and become a man of God. The reason the church is so weak and ineffective is a good number of us, I would even argue most of us in the church, most of the time are walking around with our Sunday flower. Most of us, most of the time, we're pretty prickly. Um, uh, we've got the pointed edges because I'm just full of me. And I'm doing what I want to do and it's my thoughts and my ideas and my agenda and I'm attempting to live life in my own power 
and my own resources. But I, but I got my Sunday flower. Because, <laughs> you know, on Sundays, you know, I got to put my flower on and I got I to go to church because I'm a Christian. And let me just say, the unchurched look at, look at that and say, I'm not impressed. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not impressed. I, I don't see anything there that I'm interested in. We have a knowledge of God. Jacob had a knowledge of God back in chapter 28. He just met with God personally. And he did believe that God was going to watch over him and protect him. And then he proceeded to live life in his own strength, in his own power, uh, calling his own shots. And that's exactly what he got. And it's ugly. Re read on in chapter 29 and in chapter 30. And it's, it's, it's bad. It's just ugly, and it's very, very sad. Um, it's kind of like, I'll holler out to you, Lord, if I get in a really deep hole, and I'm in really bad trouble, and really bad news comes my way, then I'll cry out to you. But otherwise, you just take a break, and I'll do my own thing. Little prayer, little praise, little gratitude, little love of Jesus flowing through our lives. I believe the world around us in northern Michigan is dying to see followers of Jesus, us, living and loving like Jesus. <laughs> They're dying to see followers of Jesus whose lives are vibrant and alive and full of the Holy Spirit. They need to see every day in us living and loving like Jesus. They need to see that. But that only happens when we daily sow seeds of Jesus-filled, Jesus-guided, Jesus-inspired, Jesus-empowered actions of love in our everyday lives. If you have your Bible, go to Galatians chapter 6 with me because I want to show you how the Apostle Paul says it. Um, you know this verse, but I, I just want to show you this perfectly explains Genesis 24 and Genesis 29. Genesis, Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Okay? You can't pull one over on the Lord. A man reaps what he sows. Whatever you plant, whatever kind of plant you daily plant in your life, whatever behavior you live out, that's what you're going to reap. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap what? It's going to be bad. Read on in chapter 29 and 30. It's destructive. It's ugly. It's sad. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Jacob sowed seeds of the flesh and he reaped destruction and frustration and sadness and, and there's, there's unloved and then I'm going to do this to get attention and I'm going to make this call and, and I'm going to respond in this way. Okay, then you can take my attendant and have sex. It's bad. It's bad. I'm telling you, uh, this perfectly illustrates 
Jacob's life. <laughs> he knew about God. He had a knowledge of God. I think he even believed God would be with him and protect him and bring him back to the land. But everything about his life was painful and sharp and ugly. Uh, and, and just read it. It was ugly for Jacob. It was ugly for Leah. It was ugly for Rachel. It was ugly for the attendants. Uh, I don't think Laban enjoyed this time either. It was, it was bad all the way around. That's what Galatians here says. If you sow daily ugly seeds, you're going to reap ugly, sad seeds. I'm just telling you, if, if we want to see northern Michigan impacted for Jesus, if we want to see our families sold out for Christ, if we want to see our friends changed by the gospel, are you ready? It starts with the begonias. Isn't that right? Yeah. If you want to see people around you changed, then you need to start getting daily connected to Jesus. Because it's only with Jesus in you and through you that the good fruit starts happening. Can I say that again? This doesn't happen in our own flesh. We can't just try really hard and make good fruit happen. It happens with Jesus taking charge and His Spirit working through our lives on a daily basis. Can I say this, Peter? I don't think many of us are doing this on a daily, regular basis. Because if we were, people would be busting down the doors to get what we've got. But I'm, I'm afraid, far too often, what are they seeing? I don't, I don't need that. I, I'm not impressed with that. Uh, that's really no different than my life, what you're holding up here. And that's exactly true. Listen closely. If we're not walking with Christ, staying connected to Jesus, abiding in Jesus, and being full of His Word and His Spirit, guess what? We're no different than the atheist or the agnostic around us as far as our behavior. Why would I want that? I, I don't need that. No, thank you. I, I, I see you got the little flower. I might not have the little Sunday flower on top, but, but I'm not impressed. I'm not interested. People all around us are dying to see us loving and living like Jesus. So here's my question. What needs to change in your life for this to start happening? What needs to change? Because clearly this can happen all... You don't even have to think. You don't have to pray. You don't have to do anything. This happens naturally. What needs to happen in your life to start living and loving like Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, uh, would you make yourself real clear to each of us right now? Would you make yourself obvious that uh, whether we are mostly living our lives in our own power, in our own strength, in our own energy, and we're really living a life much like that cactus most of the time? If that's true, would you make that clear? Or, or Lord, there, there's some here, and, and truly they are daily 
living a life of praise and worship and connection to your son and their uh, their life and their words and their attitudes are full of your son Jesus. So we rejoice in that, but Lord, would you show us? Make it clear, make it obvious. And Lord, as you make yourself clear, whether we're more like the cactus on a daily basis or more like the flourishing flower, would you show us what needs to change? I, I believe your still small voice, even right now, can make yourself very clear. What steps need to occur for us to begin living and loving like Jesus? Lord, my prayer is that we as your church in northern Michigan would truly, daily, regularly be living and loving like your son Jesus. Most of the people around us are dying to see the reality of Jesus for us to live that daily in front of them. I pray that you give us the courage to change and make adjustments, whatever that might be, whatever that might mean, whatever it takes to start getting daily connected to your son Jesus. And now, Lord, as the ushers come forward and we receive the building fund offering, Lord, I'm asking that uh, as we give these gifts to build a tool out back that can impact the teens of our community, that can impact northern Michigan and the young people here. Lord, Lord, I pray that you might take these funds and use them to advance your kingdom through this tool. Lord, I'm praying for your blessing on each and every gift that's given right now. I pray for your blessing on the giver as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things.